The only way I can watch the YouTube video is if I'm literally laying in my bed and like having the phone to my to my face. But podcasts, I can be on a run, I can be working out, I can be cooking dinner. Like I don't have to focus on a screen. I can just listen in. Hello and welcome back to the Slice Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Gallagher, and this week we are with Will Slickers. He's the founder of Hospitality FM which is a podcast network dedicated to bringing the best hospitality-focused podcasts to those in and around the industry. Hello, Will. How you doing? Doing good. Thanks, Michael, so much for having me on the podcast. Excited to geek out a little bit today. Yeah, are we podcasting about podcasts today? <laughs> I think we're podcasting about podcasts. It's uh, it's an inception concept, right? Yes, it's going to get meta. So tell us, how did you... First, because I, I looked at your website and it says that it all started with you starting a podcast. Is that correct? Yes. In 2018, I started my own podcast out of boredom. Big fan of Gary Vee and Tony Robbins and was watching YouTube one day after I got home from, from work and they were on a video together. And for, I don't know why it clicked, but just that one moment, they're like, hey, go to anchor.fm, buy a $20 mic off Amazon start a podcast, stop being a little, you know, a little baby about it and just go do it. And, uh, I was like, okay. So I kind of just like played around like, okay. Um, went on a Fiverr paid. It's awesome. Like I still use her today, but, um, this voice actress for five bucks and she made my intro and outro for me and best $5 I've ever spent. I used it for about three and a half years. And then, um, yeah, but long story short, it was just like that inspired me to start a podcast and here we are today. So what was the content of your first podcast? For me, I started off in the hotel industry after I had a failed entrepreneurial experience starting a show for an event company. So after that failure, I was like, well, I have all these nice suits. I should go work at a hotel or something like that to kind of like use them and put them into good use. So I started off working on this like amazing property with Marriott, four-star diamond property, which turned into me kind of just falling in love with the industry, but I couldn't find the mentorship one on site in the way that I kind of wanted. But then also through podcasts, like I am a avid, like true crime podcaster or, or not a podcaster, but listener, I just couldn't find anything in our space for like younger generations. Like it was all super high level or such a boring, like snore, put you to sleep podcast where I was like, okay, I'm not an expert, but I know that if I can like at least use my curiosity a little bit, I can maybe find something that will help me learn along the way. And that was just kind of what it was. It was just a tool for me to learn more than what I was experiencing on site as a property manager. It then eventually quickly turned into what it is today, which is interviewing like founders and big names in the industry from all different segments of hospitality. And did it start out as an interview format or were you kind of just talking about what you had learned? It was more or less like me trying to find topics. I would kind of like look at other podcasts and see what they're doing. And it's like, okay, maybe I could talk about like back to the basics of, you know, hospitality. What does that look like from a front desk perspective or whatever? And, or like, as I was learning more stuff on site, I was like, well, this stuff is great, but there's a lot of missing pieces. And I think if we don't apply these basics, of you know, saying my pleasure, being guest focused, doing these things, like then we're missing out on what all this advanced 
you know, conversations that we're having mean. And that moment when I published that episode, I actually had quite a few people reach out and be like, Hey, I love that episode. Can I be a guest? Like I'm 25 year veteran in the industry, X, Y, and Z. And I was like, Oh, I, at first I thought it was a scam. Like I literally thought I was being scammed. Like they're like, Oh, I've been, you know, been in hotels for 25 years. would love to be a guest. Love the show. It's like, what you li- I've only done like 15 episodes. They're pretty, pretty bad. Like <laughs> it, it was just kind of, that's how it kind of blossomed into, I think I had a topic that hit the right nerve for a lot of people. So, and those first 15 episodes, was there much traction or was it after that point that you realized that you were onto something? Yeah, there was no traction, like not no traction. It was like maybe 20 listens an episode. And then like one time I like saw like 50 listens. I was like, oh shit. Like, I don't know if I could swear on this podcast, but I was like, oh shit, this is like the most amount of listens I've had. And then after that reach out, we had the guest, he, he's one of my good friends now, his name's Adam Knight. And he, he and I kind of were like, hey, let's do a topic on like how to be a good hotel manager. Like, what does that look like from a leadership standpoint? Instead of talking about like revenue and inventory and housekeeping, like we just wanted to talk about leadership. And so we did this episode. We kind of mapped out, like we didn't script it, but we definitely made like, okay, these are the main points we want to hit. However, we get there is how we get there. We did that. We published it. We both shared it on like the same time on like Instagram and a few other posts throughout social. And it just, it jumped, like went from 50 listens for a normal episode to then it was like 300, 400, five. And it just kept going. I was like, oh, wow. That was like, I don't know how that worked, but it just worked. And then so after I think two weeks of that episode airing, I called him up and said, hey, do you want to do three more? <laughs> like, do you want to do like a, a three episode series or something? And he was like, yeah, love it. And we did that. And then more guests started reaching out. And then it just really took off from there. It just it was insane. It sounds like you had a really well-defined niche and you were like just focusing on value-driven content for that niche. I never knew about monetization or like any of that stuff until like way later. So I was like, I was just a hotel manager that was really passionate about the industry. Like I love my, I loved my team. I loved our guests. I loved the property. Like I just wanted to grow and like learn, but hoping that my growth and learning through it was kind of, you know, kind of being received on the same end. And that was the the common thing. After a while, I had one listener reach out not to be on a guest or to be a guest on the show, but he literally just goes like, I feel like I'm learning with you. And it's so incredible because like, I can't pay for this. Like I can't go get this at like a college degree, you know, university. So it was just really cool to hear something like that. Where I was like, damn, okay. Like we're, we're, we're building something cool. That sounds like it. That's amazing. So at what point then did you decide to build Hospitality FM? Hospitality FM actually wasn't until uh, December of 2021. So I quit my day job December 27th of 2019 as a hotel manager. I saved up enough to have like, okay, if I lose everything or completely like just don't actually make it, I have enough to like kind of help me out for probably eight months or so. Probably should have saved up a little bit more, but I was like, whatever, like eight months is good. And we were on traction. Like the, my podcast was getting monetized. It was finding good partners. We were creating specific series around these partners. So that way it made sense for monetization. So like through the pandemic hit, lost everything, Again, thankfully I had savings, but then I had the National Guard on my side. So I got activated to run testing sites in Washington and like did all this stuff and kind of like went on a 
a little bit of a break, but then quickly the short-term rental industry from, which is kind of what my podcast covers as well, really picked up quickly again. And so once that side of like, once kind of COVID scare got away, monetization started happening then I had too much uh, monetization. So it was like I had too many podcast uh, sponsors coming in and asking for sponsorship opportunities to where I'm not Joe. It's a good problem. I'm not Joe Rogan though. And I can't be like, here's 20 minutes worth of ads and you're going to listen to all of them. Like it just wasn't fitting the niche and the context of, of the episodes. And obviously I think you saw this too, maybe in 2020, 2021 podcasting became more and more popular, whether it was brands making it or just you know, influencers that already had a good following, just kind of using another outlet. And um, that's when in the short-term rental hospitality space, I started receiving a lot of the same questions from creators. It was like, hey, what uh, recording software do you use? What microphone? How do we get monetized? Uh, how do you schedule guests better? How do you do this? Like all the same questions versus too much of people like, hey, we want to, you know, we want, we have these marketing dollars that we want to spend with you. If you aren't open or available like how else are we going to spend it and so i was like let's marry the two i want to help these creators that i love that they're i call friends and then i also want to not like like i don't want to cap myself out on revenue but i also don't want to like be the only one that is able to have this freedom of podcasting full-time and and whatever so that's when we kind of i started doing more research on podcast networks what works what doesn't what are the pros and cons and from there, we launched Hospitality FM uh, to be the first hospitality podcast network. And it covers all facets, again, like short-term rentals, hotels, coffee, food and beverage, you name it, it's in there. So it's uh, basically a platform to connect advertisers to publishers or content creators. That and also just kind of create some structure for an unstructured you know, medium or it's such a growing uh, platform as we could all know like you you're a podcaster yourself and i don't know how often you listen to podcasts but it's just continually taking off and advertisers are loving the roi uh, but then creators or podcasters are loving the ability to connect with people from around the world or to to have like this community that just is so accessible like i can probably listen to more podcasts in a day than I can watch YouTube videos. The only way I can watch the YouTube video is if I'm literally laying in my bed and like having the phone to my, to my face, but podcasts, I can be on a run. I can be working out. I can be cooking dinner. Like I don't have to focus on a screen. I can just listen in and there's no other type of access like that. I think. So who are your ideal creators? Is there a certain audience threshold? in order to kind of get on board with Hospitality FM? In the early days, I just was like, hey, here's a few of you that I really like and call friends, and this is what I'm wanting to build. I can't guarantee everything right away, but I think if we prove this out, it will work in the in the favor of everybody. So I started with the six podcasts. Two of them were my own, and then four were friends. And then from there, again, it just took off. January was like the craziest month for us. February was even crazier. March was even crazier. So it just kept going. And so my goal for the year was 25 shows and we hit 30 within three months. But with that, we had a lot of no's. So we had a lot of no's for podcast joining. And that's because I think 
we have to be careful of not oversaturating the space for sure in hospitality when a lot of our listeners listen to a lot of the same voices. And then also finding those that are really passionate of not just about like the monetization aspect, but really the community, the growth, the bettering of the industry. And so some podcasts to like create the barrier to entry, pretty much we had a 25 episode minimum that you had to hit. So if you hadn't published 25 episodes, then we weren't going to take it. And then also like if they didn't have 25 episodes, if they're not consistently publishing. So like if your date is Thursday at 9am EST, that should be your date. Like we don't want, Oh, sometimes it's Friday, sometimes Sunday, Monday, like, no, we just want consistent threshold. And then the exception was if you didn't have a podcast, but you were a big name in the industry, if you're a big voice, you have a good following, you've proven the personal brand aspect, then we were like, okay, let, we'll take this risk and join you know, with you, give you production, give you this stuff, uh, the tools and resources that we have, and then launch your, your show together with a understanding this is a longer term investment or like partnership, right? Like we don't want to launch you and then you leave and then we've spent all this time and money on producing and equipment and all the other stuff. So yeah, that was kind of like our two-way street there. Did you get a lot of the latter of people who did kind of have a voice who were eager to start a podcast or was it more people who already had podcasts or was there a mix? I would say definitely we're heavy on the side of we already had a podcast. We've just been struggling to either free up our time from production to get monetized or to be a part of a community greater than just me as a solo podcaster. And those are like the three pain points that I think we're hitting when when it comes to the network. It's not just monetization. It's not just you know all this other stuff. It's really community, tools and resources slash bring up time from production, and then, of course, monetization. So what would you say to someone who is starting a podcast? What are some of your, can we steal some of your tips and tricks? Well, the biggest thing, and so I was completely, like, this is going to sound a little contradicting, but there's like a method to the madness here, is in the beginning, I bought a $20 mic, and I just recorded off my laptop, used Anchor for free, did all this stuff, like very $5 intro and outro. So those got me through back then in 2018. I think now in 2022, the barrier to entry is higher. So I think definitely I like get started for sure. Like if you're passionate about something and you actually know what you're talking about, go for it. Do it. I don't care. Just go. Like pull the trigger. There's tons of free resources. There's tons of blogs. There's tons of podcasters that you can literally listen to and just kind of copy and emulate and like how they structured the show or how they like maybe they even talk about the microphone they're using. Or you could look up on their video podcast what microphone are they using and you can literally Google it. So there's tons of like free stuff to do. But my I think big suggestion would be invest early on the equipment invest early on kind of getting that professional setup because in 2018 it was totally like unheard of for this big boom of podcasts to join so if you had a podcast it was like oh shoot like this is cool like i don't know a lot of podcasters that was the common thing i always heard now 2022 it's like almost everybody has a podcast so if you're going to do it going strong with a good investment like you've got a good microphone uh you got the headset like you know just go in with a good investment, understand, but then let that 
good like good audio quality is super key when it comes to podcasting so let your passion let your knowledge let your expertise really drive the content but let this make it clear and easier for your listener to stay on your show that's the biggest thing and you know if you listen to my first episode garbage audio quality sucked no idea what it was doing didn't know how to edit didn't know how to do this but that was okay back then. I think now it's a little bit more structured on that back end. So just let the let the tools uh, power that passion and knowledge, and I think you'll be good to go. So in the beginning, for you, it sounded like yeah, very passion focused. You were just publishing what you wanted to learn, but then you mentioned that you at one point were starting to share it on social media. I'm curious, did you already have like a lot of social media followers to kind of? jumpstart that audience not really to be honest like i didn't know the power of so i think there's like these micro influencers whether they're on instagram or tiktok or facebook but like i was heavily on facebook we were doing that and like facebook was actually a good beginning place because that was actually where a lot of the community was then i experienced linkedin i thought in the early days linkedin was just a resume builder you know type deal it is not that at all. And then when I realized that's where my audience really is, it's the B2B side of things, not the B2C. I wasn't doing a podcast for travelers. I was doing a podcast for operators. And that's when I started like just kind of posting more on there. Didn't really know what I was doing. But then that, like connecting with people that were in the same like segments or same topics that we were talking about, that's when it really became like, okay, I'm going to grow an audience through this channel obviously be omnipresent on the on the rest but not really it it took a while to to build and once i figured out what was really my audience and my demographic that's kind of when i really honed into that that audience builder and any strategic advertisement placements along the way for you to get the podcast going or just all organic i've never paid a dime on any advertising for the show or the network it's been all very organic and it's cool because like podcasting like yeah you have social media but like spotify apple all these channels like do a lot of marketing for you for free like i literally just have to type in you can go to apple podcast right now type in hospitality podcast and i'm guaranteeing like slick talk will pop up one of the first ones so like that is a organic like unpaid easy go to like any type of research people are doing on their topic they're more likely going to find you it may not be right at first but when they're scrolling and testing out other ones and you pop up as a a big differentiator when it comes to quality and, and content i think that itself will speak volumes and so it seemed like you were learning a lot as you were going what were some of the resources you used to teach yourself this space i would have to say like the already like influencer type people like Gary V, whatever, like they give out a lot of free tidbits. But I think once I realized like my audience grew, I was on Anchor, Spotify bought Anchor. I was like, well, that's an interesting play. I never thought of Spotify as like a like a company to go and do stuff. I just use them for music. And then I started to see like, okay, these companies that you're whether you're using them or not, they're putting out content. So if you just like Google literally is my best friend. There's so many blogs and articles and YouTube videos that surround it. The one thing I'd say is don't take it all as if it's like written in, in stone because like a lot of these how-to podcasts are really easy to start, but they don't get a lot of traction right away. Like 
you have to build credibility with a lot of how-to stuff because like I think it just come, comes off arrogant to a lot of listeners and there's like research studies and all this other stuff. So like how-tos could be slower, but interview formats could be a lot more organic because people feel like they're listening to friends chat versus a mix of the two, right? Like I've heard interview podcasts that interview and then they do a takeaway segment at the end where it's just them talking about one two and three takeaways and it's like it gives you a little bit of both it gives you a little bit of structure that if you don't have time to listen to the whole conversation guess what you could fast forward the last 10 minutes you're going to know that you're going to have at least a good couple actionable takeaways for for your business or for your life or whatever it may be so i just think it's really observing the space seeing what's working out there getting involved like it took me forever until like launching hfm i didn't really like look at ourselves being in the podcast industry and the hospitality industry i was like we're just in the hospitality industry that's it and then launching hfm and starting any more questions and we built out like our slack community with the podcasters like i need to learn a lot more over here and that's kind of where diving into like the podcast movement that's like a free easy resource uh, they have tons of content on their website from blogs to white papers to studies to you know, videos and podcasts and and sponsors there. So tons of like little things that you could pick up along the way. Any podcasters that you are either just really into right now or look up to? I really love the uh, ladies with uh, crime junkies podcast. Like that's my podcast. I used to kind of like unplug the common question I get asked, like from the hospitality side is like, man, this must be so cool to see all, all the episodes that are going to come out before they go. And I'm like, yeah, it's really cool. But it's also very like overwhelming because it's a lot of audio. It's a lot of content to process. It's and they're all different formats and structures. So for me to get away and like not think about work or, or the business, so I'm like, okay, I need something that can like really suck me in. And the cool thing with those ladies at the for with Crime Junkies, they're a part of a podcast network. They kind of discuss a little bit more. And like as I got into the space, I started like looking up their network and looking up what they do and looking up more stuff. It's like, damn, I didn't know all this stuff existed. But when I was on COVID orders with the uh, National Guard in early 2020, we were in, like all these hazmat suits and we're at testing sites, just like you know, ventilation system. And there was one day it was like super slow. And we had nobody come through basically, but you still had to be on your shift in, in this like testing area. And one of our buddies brought out his phone in a, a Ziploc bag and he puts on this podcast and it's like this murder mystery crime podcast. And all of a sudden, like our, our headquarters that's watching us do all the testing from a distance, they like just saw all three of us just like slowly creep back. And like cross our arms and like then eventually the episode got really good about like the murder mystery. And then like all of a sudden we're like gravitating towards this phone that's in a Ziploc bag as we're in this like intense hazmat suit, like with ventilation systems, like fans running and all this stuff. And we just got sucked into this podcast. And so ever since then, I fell in love with their show and just use it as a really good kind of unplug. So speaking of unplugging, what are some of the stresses or challenges that you've faced to building this business that require unplugging from? It's hard to say to like, I have to unplug because I really do love the industry. I love the business. I love the people we get to work with. Like we have the best partners. We have the best creators, just really good people. Like you fall in love with the people. I am not the one I would say I'm definitely a visionary. If I had a co-founder, if I had like another partner, I would definitely need that. Like 
I would need more of like a technical operational co-founder uh, to the point like they can handle the contracts, they can handle the invoicing, they can handle the stuff, and I can go talk about growth and structure and making sure like, all right, we're getting the best creators. Like, what tools can we use to improve the business? You know, how can we get the bigger, you know, the big fish when it comes to advertisers, that type of stuff. So doing both roles, it gets a little intense, especially because I hate doing copy. I'm not a copywriter. I hate writing ads. I love to be creative, but when it comes to like actually typing out the ad script, I will put it off as long as possible. There's <laughs> like tools now with it. We talked about it in our episode with the founder of Shazam. There are tools now where there's AI generated content that you can create with like something like Jasper, jasper.ai, and it will auto create email ads for you. It'll create blogs and then you can just go in and tweak it and edit it as you see fit i'm gonna need those uh links right after we're done with this recording yeah yeah check it out it's pretty crazy that sounds really good it's just like those little mundane things but we're in a really good spot so i think it's just like no one tells you like everyone thinks it's easy when you tell them you're a podcaster like when you're like oh i'm a podcaster or like i run a podcast network and everyone thinks it's like just like hopping on a microphone and, and chatting but they don't see that it takes editing it takes copywriting it takes like backlinking and publishing and scheduling social media posts um, and then on like the monetized business aspect it takes like legit legal contracts that you can't you know just make off of a Google doc. It takes like legit contracts for signing creators and, and doing it the way that we are. We're a different, hundred percent different business model. Like you kind of mentioned off recording CPM, but we don't do a CPM pricing with audio. We do that for social media, for Facebook posts, LinkedIn, Instagram. But when it comes to audio, we've actually created like a, a package structure because the one thing with flat rate yeah, flat rate no matter what, but also based on audience. So like if you want to do a 10 episode bundle, it's like minimum 500 an episode paid up front. That's one ad read. It's not 10 different ads. It's like all this you know, stuff. And then if you want to do like the subscription or what I call the slick talk model, because that's what we did with my show, it's a set monthly price per, per month with like a six to 12 month commitment. And that gives you the opportunity to change out ads. It gives you opportunity to create different like call to actions and, uh, and other things like that. But we saw that when it like smaller niche creators, CPM model is unsustainable. If you're getting $25 per CPM and CPM for anyone listening is cost per thousand, not per million. The M is Roman numeral 4,000. Mille. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. Latin or whatever it is. Yeah. Latin or yeah. One of those. <laughs> the one of those. <laughs> Languages that we use to create our language. So is that standard or what's what's kind of industry standard if for anyone listening who's curious about starting a podcast and they want to learn more what should they expect in terms of like when they do get to the point of monetizing like what's a good audience threshold where they could realistically start thinking about finding advertisers and then what's kind of the different i don't know uh industry trends that you've seen for these what people charge so if you talk to any other network out there that works with the big players like Capital One or Visa or Bud Light or Chevy, like these big names that are heavily going into that space of, of advertising, 
they're used to seeing a CPM of $25. So it's good when you have a network because like for the network itself, we could definitely use that model, but it's not the biggest way to grow in profitability. And also like we're a hundred percent non venture backed bootstrapped, like profitable network. And so with that, I think you need to be aware, like if you're going to create a podcast and like expect to monetize it, if you're going for those big players, if you're going for those already in the podcast advertising space, be prepared to see that being the expected kind of pricing. And those are like, even with networks that are getting millions of downloads a month. So when you're getting millions of downloads a month, $25 CPM, easy. That's going to be great money. But when you're making, when you're, let's say hitting a hundred thousand downloads a month, you know, it's good money, but to like what we're seeing on our model is pocket change. It's literally pocket change. And also like advertisers in niche categories don't apply to every show. So like a sports network can easily take an advertiser and place them across 35 shows for hospitality. When you have some that are short-term rentals, some are coffees, some are hotels, some are tech, some are attractions and theme parks. Like not every advertiser is going to fit those niches. So it doesn't make sense. So you have to be like really uh, particular. Yeah. I know if for anyone who has a small audience, that CPM would just never work. So any tips for navigating it during that time where you have a smaller audience, but still looking to work with brands? Get creative. hundred percent. Get creative, like make ad value. Instead of just selling an audio ad slot, you're selling social media posts. You're selling maybe a creative segment that you can create for them on the show or bonus content to, to do that they can repurpose and use for their advertising. Like really sell the content creations part because they like one, it's less work for them to do it. If you're creating all the like social media posts and the graphics and the audio and you know everything in between, you can then demand a higher price, create a better structure model that makes it for you, worth it for you to where like if you're working a full-time job, like for, for me, I created a 10 episode series. And what I did with this episode series, is I found the best of the best players from like vacation rentals whether they were a, a vendor on the tech side or if they're an operator on the property side, or if they're just like an influencer, like they were just well-known, they've had a lot of success in the space. And I asked them to be a guest, got my guest list set up. Said great. Before I even recorded, I went to a lot of these companies that I wanted to work with and said, hey, I'm doing this 10 episode series. These are my guests that are going to be on the show. Would you be interested on advertising on any of them? And you can pick any episode, this is Matt Landau, this is so-and-so, this is them. And uh, they loved it. I made 10 grand off of the series, 10 episodes, pretty much a thousand dollars per episode. And that was like, uh, oh, wow. Like that was something different. They never had from a podcast, you know, pitch, right? They, they get the normal, you know, here's our downloads per month. Here's this. I didn't have to tell them any of that. I didn't literally, no one cared about my audience uh, numbers. They just cared to have their name attached to these bigger guests. So, you know, you can get really creative with it. And was part of that contract, did you tell the guests like part of our agreement is you're going to share this out with your network? Yeah, hundred percent. Like that was uh, the big thing for me. It's like, Hey, I'm creating this 10 episode series. I would love it if you could share because we want to feature the best of the best. And this is who we have lined up. This is kind of the a schedule of when your episode will be. And it's really to highlight you. Like if you make it all about them, you know, I make, it's kind of like the rule of 
give, give, ask, right? Like I wanted the guests to make sure that they felt taken care of, that they had a good experience. The advertiser felt like they were getting worth the value of whatever their dollar spend was. And then at the end, I was able to ask them like, okay, great. Would you be willing to pay this amount? And they said yes. Or like the first one that actually signed off was uh, one of our good friends at Noiseware where I literally hopped on a 10 minute phone call, told them the series, told them who's on it. And they literally five minutes after hanging up the call said, we want to spend three grand on three episodes. That was it. I was like, okay, well, shoot. Like that was not anywhere I was expecting. I was expecting like 200 bucks or a hundred bucks, like whatever in that range. And then that was like, the light bulb where it's like, oh, they're willing to pay $3,000 for three episodes. Cool. Like that sets the conversation and the tone for future, like other companies were asking, okay, what are they paying? What are they paying? Can we get that same price? Of course you can get that same price. And then after, was there any sort of like expected reporting uh, that you had to do to talk about how the campaign went? Not at all. See, yeah, that's so different. I come from like the advertising world and it's very different. That was 2019. So now now are your advertisers looking for more specifics? So like now we we've we've evolved from those like days. I, and I did like when you're forming relationships with the advertisers like for for us it was like we weren't doing accurate reporting. We were on anchor the analytics were very hit and miss. Like it wasn't the most detailed structure. So we just give them an average like megaphone by spotify so thoughts on resonate i've looked into almost everyone we were on anchor we did captivate uh for a little bit captivate was a lot better than anchor we definitely sacrificed some features i really loved on captivate for megaphone but megaphone for a network agency type plug and for the direction that we're going is going to be the more sustainable long-term play for us but yeah no revenue i've never i've Every person I've asked that's used it, they're like, never heard of it. Or they don't like, uh, no, I don't don't use them. So I'm like, okay. We're using Resonate. <laughs> it's going, going fine so far. Yeah, let's say like, you know, Buzzsprouts and Resonate and, you know, all these other ones. Like, they're out there. But when it comes to, for like the big decision for Megaphone was Spotify has bought Megaphone. They bought Anchor. They've bought Podsites. They bought Chartable. So I see the more sustainable tracking and analytics and all that stuff happening with this professional i think there's going to be a big shift like eventually anchor is probably going to go under megaphone and then pod sites and chartable and all this is going to integrate into a better format and then spotify being a better aggregate of of data will will happen it's just going to take some time i think but now with the network and with the amount of advertisers we're working with definitely more tracking involved definitely more analytic reporting and they get that based on the package that they purchase. So if it's the 10 episode minimum, they get some very basic stats like average download per episode. You know, we do have like a URL that we can tell them like, all right, this is how many clicks that you got from each episode, blah, blah, blah. They have a, to create like a landing page for their call to action so that we, they can track that as well. But then like the subscription model or the network model, they get like a monthly report with the amount of episodes that they were on with the deeper dive, like, you know, the pod site type stuff. Do you find a lot of your advertisers are trying to track themselves with like promo codes and things like that? Yeah. We tell every advertiser and partner that there's two ways to really sponsor a podcast. One is to be like using discount codes and links and 
all the other stuff. And then there's the brand awareness play where that's good, but it's more or less like, Hey, we're not super worried about, about that. We know the numbers, like obviously we show them the the numbers, but they're like, we just want to be like, we just want to be included in the audience. So that's like, okay, there's two different types and yes, we do the same thing for all of them, but the ones that are like more of the brand awareness play, they're not really super interested in the clicks and the discount codes being used. I definitely think like the more startup, the more like eager for business type companies, the ones that are like just really needing to see a spike in, in signups for products or, or, or whatever, they're definitely more like, Hey, let's do 10 episodes, see how it goes. Here's our discount codes. Here's our landing pages. Here's this. Can you make sure you include X amount of social media posts? Like they get a little bit more detailed and they want to see the numbers on everything versus the brand awareness play. They're like, cool. Was it a good ad? Was that a good episode? Like, all right, cool. Thanks for, thanks for doing it. I want to go back to something you mentioned a while ago and just keep things actionable for our listeners. So you talked about backlink building, and I'm very familiar with that process in the, the world of SEO and websites, but tell us a little bit more about that process for podcasts. Well, you're probably a lot more sophisticated at us or at it than us. I just go to Bitly. We just use Bitly links. And is that like a marketplace for backlinks? It's more of like a, so like if I, let's say you come to me and say, Hey, Will, I want to sponsor 10 episodes. Here's your landing page that we created for you. Let's say it's slash podcast.com forward slash Will. I grab that link. I put it into Bitly. Bitly generates a new link for me to put into show notes. And I can see on Bitly's site, how many clicks were clicked and what kind of more like the free version is really easy. Like very basic stuff but if you pay for it you can probably see like where they're located their ip address the the finer details that the sponsors are more or less looking for but they also have that on their end too and then does that feed into how easily discoverable your podcast is on let's say like a spotify or something like that or is that more just for the advertiser's sake it's more for the advertiser's sake i have seen a shift like kind of when we started i kind of created like the longest amount of show notes uh, in the early days was like, all right, like we're going to detail everything out. We're going to have all the links included. And now it's like a two to three sentence. And then I have an auto saved like thing, like show notes, guest information, a couple like mentioned in the episode links. And then from there, it's like, we have a couple like a line separator. And then it's like, this podcast is part of HFM, blah, blah, blah. To check out our other shows, go here to check out our partners, go here to fill. If you want to be a guest, fill out this form. And last but not least, like here's, you know, Here's this other whatever. And that's like standard for every episode. Just because I think when you are creating evergreen content, it's super accessible via headphones. People could be doing whatever. They don't have to be tied with their phone in front of their face. If you say something in relevance, I think it's really important to have those consistently because then who knows when it's going to be like, oh shoot, I should actually like, I should actually click that link. So it's just like, that's the one thing we kind of have to educate podcasters and advertisers about is like, it's not instant because it needs to be relevant for the listener. So you may have 20,000 downloads a month, but if they're not hearing something that's currently like from an advertising standpoint, if they're not hearing that this is a pain point for their business, they're not going to click it. They may be curious to like go check them out, but they're not going to be like, I need to sign up today. But the one moment 
three months later. Uh, and uh, one of the co-founders from Gimlet talks about this all the time on his show Startup, or I think it was a guest from Earwolf, is that this advertiser did a three-month campaign, saw very little to no action on that campaign. Then the next three to six months after the campaign was done, and they were no longer continuing to support advertising dollars that way, then all the clicks started happening because it was relevant for those listeners at that point of time, not earlier on. So it's just very much like it's very on demand, right? Yeah, that's that's interesting. Did you ever think that you would be a podcaster? What's your background? Never. <laughs> if you ask my parents like what I do for a living, they'll be so confused. They're like, I have no idea. <laughs> they don't get it. My parents are in their their 60s. They don't know what a podcast is. They were that generation. Like my dad has worked at his company for the last 25 years, like, you know, that type of stuff. And when I was in like middle school, high school, I always thought, oh, maybe I'll be a counselor. Maybe I will, you know, be a firefighter, a police officer, or 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 or. And I never found anything I loved. Like this is like a whole another life, but I was even a camp pastor for like two summers. So it was like completely different. But once I got exposed to hospitality and then podcasting, it was like, uh, game over. This is it. So yeah, completely different. That's awesome. It definitely, I think that's just not reality that everyone has this one thing that they're like destined to do. You know, there's so many different amazing things out there. So you haven't found it yet. Just keep throwing things at the wall until something sticks, I guess. Well, I was going to say also 10 years ago, if you told your parents you're going to become a YouTuber, they would laugh at you and be like, what the hell is that? But now you can actually make a career out of YouTube. So like things are so different with, with where the world's at and like people may not understand it because they're from a different generation or they're just more maybe a tradesperson and they don't listen to podcasts, but they hear about people creating podcasts, and making a living. They get, obviously super intrigued because it's just there's so many endless opportunities you don't have to fit yourself into a mold of you know going to through high school graduating going to college buying a house getting married having a family buying the dog doing this having two vacations a year or maybe like that doesn't have to be it anymore like we've we've evolved and i think covid was a big wake up call for a lot of people that were unhappy with their career and or not just career but their life like maybe it was a spouse or maybe it was a a certain living situation whatever it may be and just like i don't need to do this anymore i have the freedom to go and actually do what i i feel will fulfill me so yeah it's pretty powerful stuff and like you said who knows what's going to be in the future it reminds me of this quote no one knows enough to be a pessimist because it's like we really have no clue what the heck is going on. We're just on this rock. It's like you have no clue what technologies are going to come out in the coming years. You have no clue if the world's going to shut down again in the coming years. So keeping an open mind to seeing what you enjoy and just kind of following that, I think, is helpful. 100%. Don't be afraid to try and fail. And I feel like even just repurposing the failure to like a prerequisite to any sort of success, like something that's you need. We had talked about this on one of our episodes that will be coming out soon, where all of those mistakes that you make along the entrepreneurial road is they're not really mistakes. It's like just like saying, you know, you fall when you're learning to walk. That's not like a mistake that you make. It's just 
it's part of the process. And like give a big shout out and like book recommendation. I think anyone listening, if you're like in startup world or founders or whatever, get the books super founders. Because like if you look at these like billion dollar unicorns, Airbnbs and all this stuff, they're not one hit wonders. They've had plenty of failure beforehand or they've had, you know, enough trials and errors and successes, small micro successes leading up to their their billion dollar unicorn. It just proves that like it's not going to be like, oh, I started Apple one day because I just knew how to build this one thing. It's very much like there was a lot of uncertainty and a lot of failure, and a lot of tries beforehand. Yeah, exactly. And just putting yourself out there. Like I think often of my grandpa, he had turtles all over his desks and he said in in business and in life observe the turtle it's the only animal that doesn't make progress unless it sticks its neck out and i think that's really like a good visual like yeah you're not going to make progress unless you put your neck out and sometimes it's going to get chopped off sometimes you're going to make progress yeah and if uh the cool thing is if you try and you fail guess what a lot of people don't really care like it, it's like, oh man, I'm sorry to hear that. And then they move on to the next thing and maybe they'll think about it in the future as like an example. But if you do stick your neck out again afterwards, they'll definitely think about it in the future as an example of like what to do, not what not to do. So it's, they failed, they, they processed, and then they kept going. They didn't stop. So I think that speaks more volumes than, than anything. You said you tried to start a company that failed. Is that right? I started a chauffeur and event company where I bought like this Maz, uh, not Maserati, but a Mazda six or something like that from this like dealership. And again, the mindset of like, okay, I have this car I'm paying a monthly payment on. How do I maybe use it to make some money? And this was like pre Uber blow up, like really close to the Uber blow up though. I would say like Uber wasn't very commonly used. It wasn't a verb like, hey, I'm just going to buy or a noun or whatever. I'm just going to get an Uber today or whatever. And so I was like, okay, I had these suits I went and bought. And it was just like, I'm going to go pick up people from the airport. I'm going to do like concert venue pickups, uh, anything in between. And I actually started picking up some good service, got into like party busing and all this other stuff with like WSU college. So like we would party bus like their students to like formals and and whatnot. It was a lot of fun, to be honest. But one, I didn't know how to price. Two, I took on way too much debt. And three, it just like I had no idea what I was doing because outside of being behind the driver's seat, I didn't have time to like work on the business. So it just kind of went to shit completely like behind the scenes. But yeah, I was still like driving people. And then like maintenance and licenses and permits and all the other stuff that I didn't really know about was just a lot especially when you don't know how to price properly and so i ended up like the year to date that i opened it i closed it it was like done get rid of it i can't do it i'm broke i'm depressed i don't want to be did you pass it off to someone else no i just closed it was like i'm done i can't i think somebody has the party bus now and like i went like when i'm talking about failure like i failed like my car got repoed like it just went to shit like completely lost everything. So I was like, okay, I'm starting over. And that's when I went to the hotel uh, shortly after to go apply for a job. What was your mindset like during the period of it failing? Oh, dude, I I was depressed 100%, like suicidal thoughts, like complete, like uh, it was 
not a good time to be around me. I think I could put on a good face around some of my close friends, but even they knew like they, they saw it happen too. like the day my car got repoed. I was recovering from a hangover. I was completely like just my life was kind of just falling apart and I already was losing business. It was just bad. And then thankfully I was barely 21, like barely, 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 barely. Like I think I just turned 21, like shortly after uh, starting the company. But so I, I was like drinking and just like getting into the spot. And when I got my car repoed, it was kind of like a big breakdown moment because the lady saw that I had my like army national guard uh, stuff on my dash. And so she actually like, gave me opportunity to clear out the car, like with all my gear. But like, if that all got taken away, that's like thousands of dollars of equipment. And like, so she showed, she showed me some grace on that, took the car. And then I just like sat in my apartment and just cried. Didn't know what to do. Didn't know where to go. So how did you, how'd you climb out of that? I think like I took a couple of days to process. So definitely didn't leave my apartment. Like bear was eating. It's just kind of like in bed, not knowing what to do. Um, and then thankfully there's been a couple of like key people in my life that have been, you know, super avid on just like consistency of our relationship, like on both sides now, but definitely back then it was like them definitely being the ones to, to carry the support and the relationship, uh, um, through friendship and mentorship and had a couple of people reach out and just, you know, share words of encouragement, take me out of the house a little bit. And, you know, one of my good friends who is here with me in Denver today, he goes, man, just go, go out and apply for something. Like they're $13 an hour at the car wash. Like there's jobs out there that can get you back on your feet. And thankfully rent was pretty cheap at the time. So I didn't have like to worry about making too much money or enough, a lot of money where I, you know, was almost like almost impossible to get uh, for, for rent and stuff. That's when I think it just took enough of those people to really being intentional with the, their, like their words and their, their, their kindness and just everything else. For sure. That was a key aspect. And then now it makes for a good podcast story. A hundred percent. It makes for a good podcast story. Yeah. Super thankful for, for all of that. I think those types of experiences of quote unquote failure actually just make any sort of quote unquote success way, have like way more weight and way more meaning because if you didn't have those, the success would be kind of like unanchored. You wouldn't really know how to compare that in your mind. So I think they definitely are necessary. And usually those moments of difficulty is like where you actually transform and grow and become better. It's very rare, I think, in our comfort that we are like, okay, let's make some, let's make some deep soul changes here. It definitely like, I think as entrepreneurs, a lot of us don't take enough time to reflect from like where we were to like the crazy amount of progress that we can make, like when we put our minds to it. And I've seen this with like a bunch of other friends, like we on my podcast uh, interviewed a good friend in COVID. They lost his company that received millions, not just like single digit millions of dollars in funding, but like hundreds of millions in funding lost it all. And then they spun off like a tech company from what they built during like the early days of that. And they've survived. Now they've raised 16 million 
they're profitable, they're, you know, or on the track to profitability, all this stuff, like a big turnaround. So like, it's crazy when we put our heads down and we just kind of figure it out. You know, there's a lot to reflect back on and it is really cool with stories. It doesn't have to be super extreme to like, I lost everything. I was depressed. Like there could be a bunch of different types of failure and story calibration where it comes to you're able to really hit people where they're at. Like you're able to be super relatable, have a lot of um, empathy and sympathy towards people based off of that experience and, you know, vice versa. A lot of people have gone through greater things who've, you know, had friends die in car accidents or family die in car accidents. Like all this other stuff, they're able to then like have a sense of empathy and sympathy for you uh, as well. And uh, it just, again, we're human. So stuff like that, like helps bring connection which is crazy to think about, but like, I'm super thankful I went through that hundred percent. Like if I didn't go through that, I don't think HFM and all this stuff that we're doing with like podcasts and hospitality and, and whatnot would, would be here to be honest. I don't think I would be down this road. So super thankful for those opportunities. Like, again, I hate saying it in a weird way, but opportunities, like the opportunity to fail. I actually think it is an opportunity. I studied Chinese in college and Something that stuck with me, the word for crisis that like it's two characters, but one of the characters is like shared with opportunity. It's like Wei Ji, I think is crisis and then Ji Hui is opportunity. And I think it's, it is kind of true. Those are opportunities. And it's like, who are we to know what's like, what we should and shouldn't experience? It's like, we can't really know that. So Attaching to the belief that like, oh, this shouldn't happen to me doesn't get you anywhere. 100%. And I love that comparison crisis and opportunity like that is actually really true. And again, and I think for anyone listening, it might sound super easy for us to say this, like, oh, it's easy for you to say, or it's easier said than done. Right. But like, I think once you actually get into that mindset of like, okay, like I have to move forward. I have to like, again, stick my neck out again or retry like there's nothing wrong with taking time to process the loss either like you don't have to do it immediately like you're not a robot okay so if you fail it's not like i the moment i got my car repoed it's not like i was like gonna be like well shoot i guess i'm just gonna go do something else here we go here we go i love it here i'm loving life you know i have no food in my kitchen i'm you know broke as shit but here there's a bunch of opportunities no it's definitely like be okay with processing, be okay with taking your time, be okay with doing the grieving of whatever that looks like for you. And then I think eventually with time is kind of like the the cure to all medicine or the medicine to all, yeah, whatever that phrase is. But like, I think with time, you definitely like that mindset, mind, that mindset shift happens kind of naturally because we are a human race that does like to continue to move forward, uh, whether we like it or not, it's just kind of there. So what's crazy to me though, I, I definitely hear that. And I agree on the like human level, but it's also crazy that we're not like restricted from like the laws of physics to relating to any situation with peace. Like we could technically relate to being broke and still being, you could still be in a state of bliss, which is crazy. I obviously, like we were saying, is easier said than done. And it does kind of remove a little bit of your humanity if you do that. But 
I think it's it's wild that it is even possible. So I that's something that I'm like, at least it's possible that I can relate to this situation with peace. And again, like it's all I think it's all perspective based off of you know who you are as a human and who you are as, uh, as a person. Like there's plenty of people I know that make maybe thirty grand a year, maybe at most, and they're completely happy and satisfied with life. They have no need for a new car, a better living situation. They have good friends. They are able to put food on the table. They don't have a need or like outside want of the current situation, which like that's awesome because that guy is more or or gal is more successful than the guy who's making two million and hates his life. So yeah, Nightingale's definition of success is you know where you are and where you want to be going, and you're moving in that direction. So like, even if you don't have money, you, you're moving toward the direction of where you want to be, then you're successful. So I know we're, we're getting over time here. So we always bring it toward a close with, if you could describe your entrepreneurial journey in one word, what would it be? I hate to say it, but I would say roller coaster because I, I think there as cliche and cheesy as it is, there are ups and downs, but I think when you look at people on a roller coaster, they're enjoying the ride a lot more uh, than the people that are on the ground watching them be on a roller coaster. So I think, you know, entrepreneurship is not easy. There are people, a very small amount, that do hit a massive success right out the gate. But there's a lot of us out there that have lots of up and downs. But I think the process of it is more enjoyable than, you know, again, watching from afar or being like a, a spectator. So enjoy it. Let it be a roller coaster and definitely like take that mindset going forward. I think you'll be fine. Well, I think we could go on, but we'll, I guess we'll stop it there. And just as a little recap, uh, inspired by you, I think some of the takeaways are if you're interested in starting a podcast, just start one, but do invest in some sort of decent quality audio, do your research, see what's out there, and learn from people who are already doing what you want to be doing. I also think sticking to something that you're passionate about, interested in, and at least want to learn about is helpful. And I like the takeaway of being open enough to let people learn with you along that process. You don't have to be the expert to get started. I think those are all really good takeaways. And then reframing failure in your mind to being like just part of the learning curve. I think those are all good takeaways. Well, thank you so much for your time. I really, really appreciate it. Thanks, Michael. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the Sliced Podcast. If you enjoyed listening, we would love for you to share this little slice of insight with your friends. See you next week.